You are listening to a message from the Living Word community in Center City, Philadelphia. We are followers of Jesus Christ, called to love God and love people, to share Jesus and help people experience true life change that can only come from knowing Him. We hope that you enjoy this message today. Well, good morning, brethren. Great to be here worshiping the Lord with you and hearing his word. And uh, I really appreciate the things the Lord has spoken to us and said to us already. And uh, we need to pay attention to what the Lord says to us early in the service and throughout the service. And I want to encourage you uh, to seek the Lord before you come and while you're here. And even if you're on Zoom, if the Lord gives you a word that's not just for you but to speak to the body, then by all means, please do that. And the Lord already said to us this morning that his word to us, his instructions to us are not difficult, they're simple, and a lot of them are in the songs that we sing. And we need to not just sing these songs, but to respond to God's word as we sing them and as we worship him. And, and then uh, appreciate the Lord saying that to us. And then the Lord also spoke to us out of Isaiah chapter 44 about consecration and about a time when uh, someone will just say to the, Lord, to the Lord, I'm yours, I belong to you, Lord. Another person will write on his hand, belonging to the Lord, and that's the kind of consecration and devotion that the Lord wants from each of us. So uh, thank you, Holy Spirit, for speaking those words to us uh, through our brothers. So it's great to be, be part of that this morning. I have my Bible open to Job chapter 23, and if you have a Bible, which I bet you do, I would be more than delighted if you would join me in opening up to the book of Job the 23rd chapter, Job chapter 23. We're continuing in our study of the wisdom literature, uh, which consists of Job and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. And if you were here last Sunday, you know that we had an anointed message through my brother Carl uh, from the book of Proverbs. And Carl was talking about true friendship. And that's one of the key things that we need in the body of Christ, is to be really be friends with one another. And Carl, being the alliterative person that he is, uh, spoke to us about three F's, the three F's of friendship. He talked to us about fatal friendship, faithful friendship, and forever friendship. And what do you expect from a guy who's got a, whose name is Carl and his brother's name is Kevin and his sister's name is Karen? All K's, so he gave us all F's. And uh, he said that, that there are fatal friendships that the book of Proverbs identifies for us. Uh, the book of Proverbs talks about one who um, repeats a matter, who betrays intimacies, and, and as a result spreads strife among intimate friends, divides intimate friends, fatal friendships. There are also faithful friendships. And Carl made mention of a, a verse in Proverbs that says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. And then there are forever, forever friendships that will last through all eternity. And of course, the ultimate one that we have is with the Lord Jesus Christ who, who makes himself and calls himself our friend. Great stuff from the book of Proverbs. And uh, one of the verses that Carl used early on in his message was Proverbs 13.20. And uh, in Proverbs 13.20, it says, he who walks with wise men will be wise and the companion of fools will suffer harm. One of the easiest ways to be wise is to just hang around wise people and stay away from fools. And uh, we talk, we're talking this morning about a guy who had an opportunity to do that, and his name 
was Job. And so we're continuing our study of uh, the, book, the, the, the books of the wisdom literature, that precious portion of scripture uh, by looking at Job. And uh, we've started reading in Job this week. The profound, the fascinating, the unique book of Job. Many parts of scripture have other parts that are like it. You know, there's 1 Kings and 2 Kings, and uh, there are some ways in which, you know, 1 Timothy is like 2 Timothy, but Job is unique. There's no other book in the scriptures that's like Job. In fact, there's no other book in all of human literature that is like the book of Job. It's a, it's a special, a precious, a unique, and a fascinating book. I'd like to start really by asking you a question. Have you ever been in a situation in your life where things were totally out of control and you felt that there was nothing you could do to make things right. Maybe, you were, maybe it was a crisis, maybe it was a catastrophic illness, maybe it was a breakdown of something you relied on, but nothing you could do and the only option open to you was to cry out for help and to call out. You know, like maybe you're walking past your cellar door and you hear gushing water from the, coming from the basement and you rush downstairs and there's four inches of water on the basement floor and the, the pipes are burst and the water's everywhere and spurting out and you're not a plumber. So what do you do? You run upstairs and, and you call your, your plumber and you get his answering machine. So you think, well, I'll quickly find the number of another plumber and you reach another plumber and uh, his assistant says, yeah, I can make an appointment for you for next Thursday. And you say, well, next Thursday may be too late. There are some things in life where you just need a quick answer and you need a, a solution that's beyond yourself. And sometimes it's something more important than plumbing. Sometimes my life could be a wreck. You know, things just aren't, everything's collapsing and uh, things are not going the way I want them to go. And, and there's sometimes really that the whole universe is a mess. The whole world seems like things are going wrong and you could get that impression if you watch the news a lot. It seems like we can't fix ourselves. We need desperately to cry out to someone for help. To fix our pipes, to fix our life, to fix the universe. And the person that we cry out to is God. But what happens if you cry out and he seems to not be there and he appears to not answer? Job chapter 23, verse 3. I hope you'll follow with me in the scriptures. Job chapter 23. Verse 3, this is where Job was. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come, to, uh, come uh, into to his seat. I would present my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would learn the words which he would answer me and perceive what he would say. I wish I knew where to find God. Jumping down to verse 8. Behold, I go forward, but he's not there. And backward, but I cannot perceive him. When he acts on the left, I can't behold him. And when he turns to the right, I cannot see him. Do you ever feel like that? I think if we're really honest with ourselves, we will recognize that there have been times when, in our lives when it seemed like God was kind of letting us down. It seems like things, we were not getting the answers and the deliverance and the hope the help that we needed. This is not just our own individual experience. This is really the existential situation of all of humankind. What this amazing book that we have before us, the book of Job does, 
is it boils it down to just one guy, just one individual, the puzzling and the puzzled, the enigmatic Job. A man full of, of pain and confusion and fear and doubt and complaints, and yet a man ultimately filled with faith. What conclusion does he reach here in chapter 23? I look around for God, but I can't find him. I, looked, I can't see him on the left. I can't perceive him on the right. He seems to be absent. Verse 10. Verse 10 of Job 23 starts with a huge but. But he knows the way I take. When he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Brothers and sisters, I think that this is the essence of faith. When he has tried me, I will, sh I will come forth as gold. Not that I understand God's way, but that he perceives my way. There's a sense in which this man, this guy Job, is every man and every woman seeking truth, seeking solutions in a universe, a world that sometimes appears to lack truth. It's a troubling world. Job himself says, man is born to trouble and the sparks fly upward. Job's conclusion, he knows the way I take. Turn with me a couple of chapters later, if you will, to chapter 28. Please flip with me about four chapters later. The 28th chapter of Job, Job 28. Now you may be wondering if we're ever going to get to the beginning of the book of Job. We're just going to mess around in the middle. The wisdom literature is about the quest for wisdom. That's true of Job, that's true of Proverbs, that's true of Ecclesiastes. Proverbs and Ecclesiastes are books of prose. They describe to us how the, the search for wisdom. Job is a little different. Job is not, is, is not prose. Job is more like a poem. It's more like a story. In fact, it is a story. In Job, unlike Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, we just don't... There's just, it's not a treatise about understanding and wisdom. We see it, we hear it, the quest. And the big question, all three of these books, where is wisdom? Surely there's a mine for silver, but where is wisdom? Job chapter 28. There's a mine for silver and a place where, where they refine gold. Iron is taken from the dust and copper is smelted from rock. Look over at verse 12, Job 28, 12. But where is wisdom? Where can wisdom be found? What is the place of, of understanding? Man does not know its value, nor is it found in the land of the living. The deep says, wisdom's not in me, and the sea says, it's not with me. Pure gold cannot be given in exchange for wisdom, nor can silver be weighed for its price. We can't find it. We don't know where to look for it. We can't pay enough money to get wisdom. So where is it? The answer in this chapter is in verse 10. Excuse me. Um, I think I got, no, verse 20, excuse me, verse 23, verse 23. The answer, the, the quest for wisdom, Job 28, 23. Is God himself. God understands its way. He knows its place. 
For he looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When he imparted weight to the wind and meted out the waters by measure, when he set a limit for the rain and a course for the thunderbolt, then he saw wisdom and declared it. He established it and searched it, and he searched it out. And to man, to man, he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to depart from evil is understanding. Two things, two essential critical things. Wisdom is not smarts, it's not knowledge. Wisdom is to fear the Lord and to depart from evil. It starts in the character, it starts in the heart of man. That is the source of wisdom. Those two things, to fear the Lord, to depart from evil. Can you think of anyone in the scriptures who really stands out as doing these two things? Is there anybody that pops to mind who, who fears the Lord and, and departs from evil? I got an idea, and I think I know where he lives. He lives in the, the land of Uz. Turn with me back to the beginning of this book, will you? Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1. Let's go back to the very beginning. It's a very good place to start. You see, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. That man was blameless and innocent, blameless and upright, fearing God and, and turning away from evil, fearing God, turning away from evil. These are the characteristics, the hallmarks of, of this man, of Job. And the Lord boasted about him, about that. Would you like the Lord to boast about you? What would he say if he was boasting to someone about you? This is what he says about Job in verse 8, and it's repeated again later. Job chapter 1, verse 8. The Lord says to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him, uh, no one like him in the earth, a blameless and innocent man, fearing God and turning away from evil. Those are the two things that he does. He fears God, he turns away from evil. This is the, uh, the amazing uh, story of the man Job who did those two things, who feared God, who turned away from evil. And it's a fascinating story. It's a fascinating book. In 23.10, he says, um, Oh, that I might understand him. Oh, that I might know the Lord. Um, he, he, when he has tried me, I will come forth as gold. The two things... Turning God, fearing God and turning away from evil are the, the, the essence, the foundation of this magnificent book we have before us, the book of Job. Job has been called a theodicy. Some of you may have heard the term theodicy before. A theodicy literally comes from a Greek word that means to speak for God. A theodicy is a treatise that's written to explain or to justify the works of God to mankind. And Job is the most powerful and significant Theodicy. And what we have in this magnificent, powerful, beautiful book is um, a testimony of God's goodness, a testimony of God's justice in the midst of a universe that sometimes seems devoid of justice and goodness, in the midst of a universe that includes pain and, and suffering and mystery and unanswered questions and things we just can't fathom, injustice, calamity, in short, all the things that are the result of the fall of man. 
when Adam and Eve decided to disobey the Lord and to eat the fruit that they were commanded not to eat. So many things were lost and so many things came into the world. And those are the things that we see depicted in this magnificent book of Job. Like life itself, the book of Job doesn't give us any easy, glib answers, any quick solutions. Like life itself, the book of Job invites us instead to have an encounter with God. The structure of the book of Job is, is really interesting and fairly unique in the scriptures. It's a frame tale. Uh, it's a narration. Uh, the first and second uh, chapters of Job set the, set the frame, and the final chapter, chapter 42, is the end of the story. And um, so it's, it's told like a frame tale. And in the first two chapters, the stage is set, the characters are introduced, and the issues that will be delved into throughout the rest of the book are also introduced in the first two um, chapters of Job. It's almost like a play, uh, set up uh, literarily, almost like a play. And if you know, you know if, I don't know, people don't read plays very much anymore, but there was a time when people read plays. I remember back into the dim history of times. And, and um, I don't know if any of you have read plays, but there's some good literature out there. And uh, my favorite play personally is uh, Cyrano de Bergerac. I don't know if any of you know Cyrano. Uh, he's the famous French swordsman, the guy with the big nose, and uh, Cyrano the crusader for, um, for bravery and courage and, 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 and honor and truth in a world that's filled with sham and deception and hypocrisy. And Cyrano is tested, sorely tested, in the play Cyrano de Bergerac, just like Job is sorely tested. And you find out uh, when the heat gets turned up, what the metal of a man, what the metal of a person is. And um, if you've read a play you, recently, you may remember that the, the, one of the first elements that we have when you read a play is called the dramatis personae. The dramatis personae is the list of the characters, uh, usually in their order of speaking appearance in the play. And uh, these 42 chapters of Job have a, have a dramatis personae. There are nine people who speak in this book. And uh, just in, in the order that they, that they speak, there's first the narrator, then Job, then God himself, then Satan, then the wife of Job. She has the, the shortest of all the speaking parts. Uh, then uh, Job's first three friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, Zophar. Then the later entry, the man Elihu, that's the dramatis personae of the, people, of the, of the book of Job. Um, as with the rest of scripture, not every person who speaks, not every voice that we hear in the book of Job is equally to be trusted. Uh, some are true, some are not always true. Just for myself, I, I break down the, the nine uh, speakers, the nine, uh, the cast of Job as follows. The people that I always trust, the narrator and God, the people that I always mistrust, Satan and Job's wife. She gives about the worst advice I've ever heard anywhere in the scriptures, Job's wife. And then there are the, there are the other five, um, Job himself, Eliphaz, Bildad, Zophar, Elihu. And I think with these five voices, what we need to do is weigh them, uh, to take them with a grain of salt, uh, to listen carefully to what they say and, and see what they're, what they're actually saying to us. 
Did you ever hear a really bad sermon? Did you ever listen to a sermon and think, boy, I really could have skipped that one? Um, years ago, I went with, a, with Buck, uh, Pastor Sharp, to a conference uh, away from the city. And uh, there, all of the speakers were really good and really anointed, except for one. And uh, the, one, of the, one of the people that spoke, he got up to share, and he shared briefly a couple of scriptural um, themes. But the essence of his sermon was, I'm a terrific person. And he, he, he boasted about how smart he was and how talented he was and how wherever he went all throughout his life, people thanked him and just said he was just an incredible, amazing person to be with. And when he went to seminary, all of his professors said, you're the smartest student we've ever had at the seminary. And uh, he just was an amazing guy. And I, I found it to be a really hard sermon to sit through. And afterwards, I said to Buck, you know, Buck, I could have skipped that guy. And Buck said to me, well, you know, you need to learn to do what I do, which, and Buck, by the way, another source of wisdom, uh, Buck said, what I do is I eat the fish and I spit out the bones. <laughs> and I said, yeah, that's, that's good advice, eat the fish and spit out the bones. Sometimes we need to do that with uh, the people whose voices are quoted for us in scripture, including uh, some of the things Job says, and particularly some of the things that his four comforters or friends say. So anyway, back to the structure. After the first two chapters, which are the frame, the beginning of the frame of the book of Job, there's a long passage that, that goes all the way from chapter 3 through chapter 31. And what this is is a series of discourses of Job and his first three friends. They kind of take turns having long speeches and chapters devoted to them. Uh, those people that are sometimes called, uh, rightly or wrongly, his comforters. And then uh, following uh, that, there's another fairly long passage where there's a late entrant to the book, to the contributors, and uh, his name is Elihu. And he has a long section all the way from chapters 33, excuse me, 32 through 37. Just a word about um, the advice that Job get, gets from Eliphaz, Bildad, Zophar, and Elihu. Um, there's some truth but there are a lot of platitudes mixed in. And um, I'm not sure if you know what a platitude is, but Carl, in just a minute, I'd like to, to pull up that picture, but not right now, but in just a minute. But a platitude is uh, a saying or a statement that someone gives to you that can contains some truth, but it's kind of shallow, a little bit hollow. It doesn't really fit your situation. I don't know if anyone's ever tossed a platitude to you, but it might be something like, you know, if you've had some devastating loss or suffering or current pain in your life, and a Christian brother or sister just kind of waltzes in and say, don't worry, just put your trust in God. Don't you know that God causes all things to work together for good? And then just kind of waltzes out again. And you say, yeah, I know that scripture is true, but somehow you didn't really give me very much help. You didn't really give me any comfort or any wisdom. You just sort of tossed a platitude at me. Uh, Carl, can we see? That, that picture now. Um, anybody know? That's not it. Yeah, there we go. That's it. Anybody know who this guy is? A platypus. What kind of a platypus? A duck-billed platypus. Platypus. Okay. So uh, this is a, a strange creature actually made by the Lord. It's called a duck-billed platypus. And uh, it's a weird animal. Uh, it has a bill like a duck. And uh, 
And zoologists don't know quite what to do with the duck-billed platypus because in some ways it's like a mammal, in some ways it's like a reptile. It just doesn't really fit in. And a platypus is like a platitude. It doesn't really fit the situation. And if someone tosses a duck-billed platitude or a duck-billed platypus at you, it's not very helpful. And, and Job gets a lot of this. He gets a lot of duck-billed platypuses, a lot of duck-billed platitudes tossed at him in the book. And, and we need to, to read them carefully. Chapter 4. Look at Job chapter 4 with me for just a minute. Job chapter 4. This is the first speech of Eliphaz. After Job's calamities strike him uh, in the first couple of chapters, then Job chapter 3 is Job responding uh, in his grief and in his pain and his confusion to all the, all the troubles that have come upon him. And then the first of his comforters speaks to him in, in chapter 4. His name is Eliphaz. And Eliphaz, in the opening verses, essentially says, you used to be, Job, in a position where you were comforting others, and when others were in trouble, you were a source of strength to them. In verse 5, Job 4, 5, But now it has come to you, and you are impatient. It touches you, and you are dismayed. Is not your fear of God your confidence and the integrity of your ways your, your hope? Okay, verse 7. Remember now, whoever uh, perished being innocent uh, or where was the upright destroyed? According to what I have seen, those who, who, who plow iniquity and those who sow trouble harvest it. What's Eliphaz really saying to Job? He's saying, stop complaining. God's punishing you for your sin. It's as plain as day. Is that what's happening here? Absolutely not. Eliphaz has it exactly wrong. There's nothing, there's nothing in the opening chapters of Job that say that God is punishing Job for his sin and that's the source of his calamity. What Eliphaz does is he's throwing a duck-billed platitude, a duck-billed platypus into Job's lap. And that's not really very comfortable, comforting. So going back to what Carl said about friendship, if you want to be a good friend, don't give somebody a duck-billed platitude. Don't, don't give them a quick, easy answer, especially if it doesn't really meet the facts of, the, of their life situation as Eliphaz's did not to Job. What the, what the comforters should have done was quit while they were ahead. And the place where they were ahead is in the end of chapter 2. So if you want to glance with me there at the end of the second chapter of Job, you, know, you may remember that when things really came unglued, for Job, that these three men, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, agreed to meet together and to go and to pay a visit to Job. And um, it says that uh, in, in Job, uh, this is 2.12, that they lifted up their voice at a distance, and they didn't even recognize him. And they raised their voices, and they wept. And um, they, they tossed dust into the, heads, into, the, into the air over their heads. And then, I like this verse 13, they sat down on the ground with Job for seven days and seven nights with no one speaking a word to him, for they saw that his pain was very great. This is what friends do. This is real comfort. Not necessarily talking and blabbing and giving a lot of shallow advice. Being with someone, sitting down on the ground with them, experiencing their pain, that, 
the comfort of presence, of empathy. And they saw his pain was very great, and they, they didn't, at least at the beginning, start out with a lot of duck-billed platypuses. They just were with him, sitting with him on the ground. That was, they probably should have quit while they were ahead. Anyway, um, after, get back to the structure just for a moment. Um, after the Eliphaz, uh, excuse me, after Elihu's long speech, which goes from chapters 32 through chapter 37, um, then we come to God's speech, uh, which starts in chapter 38. So we're getting already toward the end of the book of Job before, jo before the Lord himself gets a chance to reply and to speak specifically. And God, not surprisingly, gets a, a lot of ink, a long section, and the Lord speaks to Job from chapters 38 through 41, that four-chapter section, which, of course, is very powerful and very profound, uh, toward the end, Job 38 through 41. And then comes the concluding chapter, the end of the frame, uh, Job chapter, 32, four, chapter 42. And uh, what we have in 42 is um, Job responding to God, and then the Lord responding to Job, and then the narrator concluding the story, the end of the frame, tying everything up, and he does with a very neat bow, and he tells us the outcome of it all. So that's, uh, that's the end of the, the structure. Lots of significant things that the Lord says in his speech, and we don't have time, of course, to look at all of them, but just look, with, look at a couple of verses with me in chapter 40. Job chapter 40. Job 40. So the Lord said to Job, Will the fault finder contend with the Almighty? Let him who reproves God answer it. Then Job answered the Lord, and he said, Behold, I am insignificant. What can I reply to you? I lay my hand on my mouth. Sometimes the wisest thing that you can do is just shut up. Whatever I have to say, Lord, is insignificant. I'm going to lay my hand right on my mouth so I can't say more dumb stuff. And uh, that's, what, that's what God hears from Job here. But I love the title that the Lord attributes to Job. Did you see what he called him there? What does he call him? He calls him the fault finder. Will the fault finder find fault with God? If the Lord wanted to sum you up in one word, would, would you like him to say you're the fault finder? I don't know, but that's what he calls Job, and, and he calls him the fault finder. I love God's honesty. What the Lord is doing here in the book of Job, as in other parts of Scripture, is he's holding up to us a mirror. When you look into God's word, do you see yourself? Do you see yourself as being the fault finder? There's this strange reversal that we sometimes do in human nature where we try to put ourselves in the place of God, where we try to judge him. C.S. Lewis wrote a wonderful essay about this called God in the Dock. I don't know if you've ever heard it or read of it, read it, but it's a short, powerful, wonderful essay, God in the Dock by C.S. Lewis. I highly recommend it, God in the Dock. And the, the title of God in the Dock is based on the physical layout of an old-style English courtroom. And uh, the way it's laid out is that 
the judge is seated on a high uh, seat at the front of the courtroom, almost like a throne, an elevated position. And before him, in the middle of the courtroom, is a thing called the dock. And the dock is like a, a, a raised, slightly raised platform with, I think, rails around it. And the person who stands in the dock is the accused, the prisoner, the defend, what we would call the defendant. And that's the way uh, the, it used to be in the English courts. Maybe still is. I don't know. But um, so what Lewis is saying is that the weird reversal that takes place in modern culture is we put God in the dock. We mankind, in our arrogance, in our fault finding, say we're the judge and we're going to sit in the place of judgment. We're going to put you, God, in the dock and we're going to find fault with you. You better answer to us about the way you run your universe. You see how twisted and how perverted human nature can be how deceitful and, and wicked our hearts are if we put God in the dock, the fault finder. Some of the best things and some of the most profound things that Job himself says in this book, I find in the frame, the very beginning and the end. And uh, just go back to chapter one with me for a minute, Job chapter one, if you will, for the end of the first chapter. Job one. First, Job loses all of his possessions and his family. Then his own body is stricken with disease and boils. Desperate situation. And Job arises, Job chapter 1, verse 20. And he tears his robe and he shaves his head and he falls to the ground and he worships. What should our response to calamity be? Fear, complaining, rushing around in a panic, desperately looking for someone to help. How about if our first response was to fall and, and to worship? Good place to start. And this is what he says, verse 21. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job at his best. Again, at the other side of the frame in chapter 46, I'm making you flip around a little bit today. Job chapter 46, if you go back, excuse me, chapter 42, chapter 42. You can't go to chapter 46, that would be too far. That would be into the Psalms. Um, Job chapter 42, the other end of the frame. Job chapter 42. Job answered the Lord, and he said, I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have declared that which I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Job's statement is a little bit like the conclusion that the Apostle Paul reaches in Romans chapter 11. We can't figure out God's ways. And, and Paul proclaims in, chapter, in Romans 11, 33, Romans 11, 33, I think it is, he says, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, how unfathomable his ways. I can't search out God's judgments. I can't fathom his ways. It's a good thing he knows the way I take. So this is Job's conclusion. Things too wonderful for me. Then he goes on in, in verse 4 and he says, Here now, and I will speak. I will ask you, and you, Lord, answer me. 
Job 42:5. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore I retract and I repent in dust and ashes. I've heard about you, Lord. Now I see you. Now I repent in dust and ashes. Job sounds great in the beginning and in the end, doesn't he? Kind of sometimes wish we could get rid of those middle chapters uh, where he's full of complaints and, and questions and doubts and fears and arguments. He says, I want to present my argument before the Lord. Um, boy, what a fickle, uh, weak person he is. Kind of like you and me complaining before the Lord, even in the, even in the midst of having some faith. He's like us. I love this book. I really love this book of Job. I hope you, I hope you do too. It, it's a complex book. It wrestles with the, some of the most existential issues of life. No glib, easy answers in the book of Job. No glib, easy answers in the experience of life. What's the final answer? What's the conclusion? It's God himself. It's an encounter with him, verse 5 of chapter 42. I've heard about you, Lord, with the hearing of the ear, but now, now my eye sees you. My brother or sister, if you are even now at this moment in your life in the midst of a crisis, in the midst of a situation that's beyond your control, if it's a pain or a series of circumstances or just questions and doubts and things that are too big for you, can you encounter God in the midst of that? The most anointed and succinct summary of the meaning of the book of Job is given to us by our brother James in James chapter 5. And if you have a moment, if you want to just flip with me to James chapter 5, the fifth chapter, the book of James, James chapter 5. My brother Ephraim uh, mentioned this passage in a, in a sermon a couple of weeks ago, James chapter 5. It's all about endurance. James 5.11, give me just a moment. James chapter 5, verse 11. The apostles, as we count those blessed who endured, you have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings. See, this book is not just the book of Job, not just about the complaints and the arguments and the discourses in the middle, but it's about the outcome. What's the outcome? It doesn't always matter what's going on in your life, what struggles are right now, but where are you headed? What's the outcome going to be of all this? We have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, and what is it? That the Lord is full of compassion, that the Lord is merciful. Have you read the end of the book of Job? Some good stuff happens to him, some really good stuff. Not to everyone else in the book. Not everybody else gets, gets good stuff. But God's servant Job, the one who feared God, the one who turned away from evil, turns out pretty nice, pretty nice for him. The outcome of the Lord's dealings. He's full of compassion. He is merciful. He alone. This is it, Job chapter 23. I don't always understand the way God is taking. But here's what counts. He knows the way I take. When he has tried me, I shall come forth 
as gold. What is your conviction about your life, my sister, my brother? Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the word that you have spoken to us in so many ways, Lord. I thank you for the words you spoke to us, Lord, uh, early in the service. Thank you especially for um, the message that you spoke to us about true friendship last week. Lord, help us to, to be true, to seek true friends, but to be true friends. And thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are the friend who sticks closer than a brother. Appreciate also, Lord, the way you hold up in your word to us a mirror. We see ourselves here, Lord. Lord, show us when it's time for us to just shut up and put our hand on our mouth and not say anything. Lord, help us to be um, like Job's three friends were uh, in chapter 20, in chapter 2, where they just sat down with him and felt his pain, sat down with him in the dust and on the ground, Lord. Lord, give us that kind of love and empathy, and Lord, help us to be, Lord, not shallow comforters and not tossing uh, platitudes toward people in need, Lord, but, but really caring and really empathizing. And Lord, we just want to thank you that uh, ultimately, just like Israel, you said to Israel, out of the furnace of much affliction, you've chosen, you had chosen him, and that for iron you give him silver, for brass you would give him gold. Job had that same conviction, Lord. And Lord, he, he said that when you tried him, he would come forth as gold. Lord, help us to see our lives that way too.